What a wonderful name is Jesus. We have so much to be thankful to him for. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful that we've got through Brexit. I have to be honest, I am thankful. And uh, praise God, God's been in control of all, even of the national and international things that we're going through. Well, lovely to see you and a very happy Christmas. If I haven't uh, wished you that already, hope you've had a, a blessed Christmas. We are, as Anwin said, we're in this transition time, aren't we? We're uh, close enough to Christmas still to be rejoicing in the wonderful truths of the uh, incarnation, probably still feeling the after effects of our Christmas turkey and Christmas pudding, and, uh, but also looking ahead to the new year. And so I've chosen a, a text which I think straddles that, will help us to straddle the uh, Christmas and the new year. But I want to read, before we get to the text, which is in 2 Corinthians 4, I want to read a passage in 2 Corinthians 12. So if you have a Bible or you want to just follow it um, on the uh, screen, it's 2 Corinthians 12. I'm reading the first 10 verses. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. So, Lord, we come to your word And we ask that you would help us. Help me in my weakness. Help us in our weakness, we pray. To hear what you have to say. And then to respond to that. In the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. The text 
my text isn't from that passage. It's from earlier in the epistle to the two, the two Corinthians epistle. And it's chapter 4. And it's verse 7. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Paul again says this, for, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The, the jars of clay there refer to the very ordinary common garden jars of baked clay that probably every home in Palestine and the Middle East would have had. Very cheap, easily breakable, fragile jars of clay. The sort you'd get in Poundland, two for a pound. Or something like that. In those containers, there'd be things like food, even rubbish, common garden things kept in them. But occasionally, people would keep treasure in them. People would keep jewels in them, or they'd put money in them, or even important documents in these jars of clay. So, with that in mind, we're going to think of just of two themes that come out of that verse, that text. The first is a theme of wonder, and the second is a theme of weakness. First of all, wonder. The wonder of the treasure that can sometimes be found in unexpected places. And sometimes found in very ordinary containers. We have this treasure in jars of clay. I think it's probably the dream of many people to be maybe sorting through your attic or in the loft and you come across a box that you hadn't seen before and it must have belonged to the owners before or owners before that and you're sorting through and there's some old paintings there and the dusty, old, faded paintings, and, you, and you're sorting idly looking through them, and, and you look at one, and you think, oh, it's all right. And then at the bottom of the painting, you just spot a name. And you look again, and it says Rembrandt. <laughs> and you look again, make sure it's not Harry Rembrandt or somebody, and, it's, and you oh, it's Rembrandt? Well, well, it's worth a check, isn't it? Well, so you take it to an art, valuer and he looks at it and he goes through all the checks and sure enough it's a long lost unknown Rembrandt worth probably millions of pounds in the summer I read of uh, two Israelis uh, two teenagers they were on vacation and actually um, helping to dig in an archaeological excavation and they discovered a jar of clay a clay jar. And in that clay jar were 425 gold coins. 24 karat gold dating back to the 9th century. Apparently the, the value in that day 
when they were in the ninth century, they would have been able to buy a luxurious house in the, in the, in, in the most sought-after neighborhood. And this clay jar had been hidden for 1,100 years, and it was full of treasure, just a clay jar. The fact is, beautiful things can sometimes be found in the most unexpected places. Valuable treasure can be found in very ordinary containers. Isn't isn't that illustrated in in the Christmas story? All the different accounts of the the story of, of, of the Lord Jesus coming into this world. For a start, God chose a very unfashionable place, didn't he? For his son to be born in, in Bethlehem. Bethlehem of all places. That was a little village. It really was a sleepy little village. It was unfashionable. It was sort of a backwater place. Nobody had heard really of Bethlehem in those. If, who, who, wouldn't, who would want to be born in Bethlehem? That's like being born in Lancashire. No one wanted to be born there. And here God chose Bethlehem for his son to be born in. And then it was to very ordinary, poor people, just a couple, ordinary couple, that God entrusted his son to be brought up with them in their home. Because it was to Mary, God sent an angel all the way from heaven to Mary to announce that she would be, be able to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit and would give birth to the Son of God. She was just like the jar, the jar of clay. And when she gave birth, it wasn't in an elegant mansion. It wasn't in a palace. It was in the outhouse of an inn, most likely. Just an ordinary place. She gave birth to the Son of God. Treasure in a jar of clay. And then it was to the shepherds, wasn't it? Just ordinary shepherds that... The angels appeared and said there's a saviour born and they were the first to know about it. And then God unexpectedly sent treasure to his son, to Mary and Joseph via the wise men, gold, frankincense and myrrh. I think it's great, isn't it, that God arranged the very first baby shower for the mother of his son. All of those are examples of treasure found in in unlikely places, unexpected places. I think the greatest example of of treasure found in jars of clay is in Jesus himself. We've been thinking about this. Those um, um, devotions and fixated have been great, haven't they? Those of you who have been following them. Reminding us of the wonder of the incarnation and, and, and Bruce's series on a Sunday morning leading us into that, the thought of in an ordinary body, if you like, an, a very ordinary person, there was the Son of God. Jesus' body was just like our body. It wasn't a superhuman body. I was thinking, you know, he was a carpenter. I was thinking earlier, he was a carpenter. He probably would have got splinters. You know, his, his fingers wouldn't have suddenly ejected the splinter with no pain. He felt pain. He felt tiredness. Even as a baby, 
he was cared for, he was reliant, he would have had his nappy changed, just a baby. And yet he never stopped being God. It's one of the mysteries of the incarnation. I, I struggle to get my mind behind the fact that as a baby, and then as a toddler, and as a, then as a child, and then as a teenager, he never for a second, even microsecond, stopped sustaining the whole universe. Time, energy, matter, all of that. He was God. He laid aside his majesty, but he didn't lay aside his deity. Jesus is the greatest example in all the world of treasure in a jar of clay. And, and here's the remarkable thing. That same Jesus, who is the treasure, amazingly now lives in us. And we're the jars of clay. That is amazing. That is, that is beyond comprehension. Paul said, didn't he? It's not I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are just the clay pots. We're easily breakable, we're fragile, we're weak, we're vulnerable. Christ is the treasure. It's the treasure in the vessel, actually, that gives the vessel its value. In one of the Polynesian islands, it was the custom for a man who wanted to marry a girl to give a dowry. And the most valuable possession in, on that island were the cows that they raised. So if a girl was from a low-caste family then one cow was expected. If a girl was from a very high caste family, three cows were expected. Well, this man, who was very wealthy, fell in love with a girl from a very low caste family. She was a beautiful girl, but because of her background, she struggled with her self-worth, was always down on herself, her self-esteem. So the man went to the father and he asked for his daughter's hand in marriage and he offered the father eight cows as his dowry and it was readily accepted. He gave eight cows for his fiancée and she turned out to be an eight cow girl, if I can put it like that. He honoured her, he valued her, he esteemed her by the size of that gift. We might be ordinary jars of clay. Uh, in the scale of things, things in, of, of little value, if you like. Weak and frail. But what an infinite treasure we have within us as children of God. It means that God delights in you. It means that God has honored you with the beautiful indwelling treasure of his son. Now that means that your self-esteem, your self-worth comes from you being in Christ and Christ being in you. 
the theme of wonder. And then the theme of weakness. The wonder of the treasure. Secondly, the weakness of the container that the treasure is found in. Go back to our text, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not of us. We are the jars of clay. The New King James has earthen vessels. Just earthen vessels. You know, this past year, COVID has shown us how weak we are, hasn't it? Shown everybody how weak they are. Doesn't matter how rich, how fit, what sort of a, a life they've lived. Doesn't, doesn't matter what background, we are all fragile and weak. This past year has really exposed the frailty of man. As you get older, you realize that you're getting weaker. I've already found myself doing what I used to hear older people say they did, and I thought I'd never do that. I found myself going upstairs to get something, and by the time I've got up, I've forgotten what I was going for. And that's at my age, and I'm only 35. <laughs> and and as, as Christians, we, we feel our weakness. We, we feel our frustrations, don't we? We, we feel weak. We feel our proneness to temptation and to sin. We know we get quickly frustrated by things. We, we, we're quickly anxious. You know, we struggle to get solutions to things. We, we, we've got limited understanding and the more complex issues there are, the more real, we realize how weak we are, how limited we are. We're just jars of clay. But don't despair. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. God uses our weakness to, to showcase his power and his strength. Now, that was brought out by Paul being given a thorn in the flesh. I read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In that passage, verse 7, I'm going to read verse 7. I'll read it in the New King James. It says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Paul had been given these amazing revelations. He'd been transported into heaven. He was shown things in heaven that it says were inexpressible. He couldn't even share what he was shown. And it so overwhelmed him, he wasn't even sure whether he was in the body or whether he was in the spirit. And 
to keep him from becoming proud that he'd had these extraordinary revelations, he was given a thorn in the flesh to keep him weak, to stop his pride, to remind him how, no matter how blessed he was, how much used he was of God, he was still a jar of clay. And he was given a thorn in the flesh. I don't know what you think when you, when, when you hear that word thorn, what you think about. You might think of the rose bush, you know, the, you catch your, your finger on it and it pricks you and it, and, it, and it bleeds. The word actually means a stake. The sort of thing that would be driven into the ground and, you know, a small tree would be attached to it. This wasn't a little splint that he's talking about. This, this was a spear rammed through the flesh. And it says in verse 7, a messenger of Satan to torment me, or to, the New King James has to buffet me. And it's the word used of the soldiers who beat Jesus with their fists. This was a, a, a cruel, if you like, an a, 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 a excruciating pain. And the tense of the verb tells us that it was recurring. It kept on going. It kept on going. No letter. This was intensely painful. And, and it was frustrating and debilitating. And it was a constant reminder to Paul of just how weak he really was. What was, that th what was the thorn? Theologians and, and preachers have speculated about that thorn for centuries. Some think the thorn referred to problems that Paul faced, and he faced lots of problems. Some think actually it refers to the demonic opposition that he experienced. All the way through his ministry. Some think it was people that Paul had to put up with. Someone even suggested it was his wife, but we won't go into that. And, and another thing, it, it was a physical illness which Paul had. Some, some physical ailment, some inability, some affliction. And, and there are other scriptures, aren't there, that would suggest that that was so. I, I, I would lean towards that myself. I would think, it, I do believe it was a thorn in the flesh. But the fact is, we don't know. And I'm glad we don't know. Because it means that whatever we have, whatever we experience, we can identify with Paul. Whether it's some difficult situation, some difficult relationship, some physical problem some pain, some frustrating person we have to put up with. It, it doesn't matter. This speaks to all of us. But who gave him it? Who, who gave Paul the thorn in the flesh? Well, verse 7 makes it clear. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. 
So Satan was the messenger, if you like. He was the immediate source. But actually it was God who gave it to him. And you say, are you, are, are you sure about that? God gave him this thorn in the flesh. Well, look why it was given. It was given, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. This thorn in the flesh was given to keep Paul from becoming proud. Satan didn't want to keep Paul from becoming proud. That, that's not Satan's desire. Satan wants us to, be, to become proud. And the prouder, the better. This was God's goal. Satan was just the messenger. This was a gift from God. God gave him this to keep him from becoming proud, to keep him weak, to keep him aware of his weakness. God gave it. It wasn't pleasant. God, Paul didn't want it. It was unpleasant. It was painful. And when it came, he wanted to get rid of it. And he cried out to God and he said, God, remove this, remove this, remove this. Three times it says. I pleaded with the Lord and pleaded. It's a strong word. It's begging. He begged God to move this, to remove it from him. These weren't, these weren't just one-off prayers, you know. Lord, please take this away. And that was it. I believe these were long, extended times of crying out to God. Please remove this. And what was the answer? Verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. The tense of the verb, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. It, it means it was settled. That was it. And I can imagine Paul saying to God, is that your final answer? And God says, that's my final answer. Now shut up. <laughs> Trust me, my grace is sufficient for you. God answered not by removing the problem, but by increasing his grace. Seems to me it was as though the devil had said to God, I want to hurt Paul. I'm going to make it as hard as possible for him. I've got this stake and I want to drive it into his flesh. I want to make him weak and feeble. And God said, hmm, that's a good idea. Now do it. That thorn became a gift of grace. It kept Paul weak and humble and useful. Humility is what God seeks in us. He wants his servants humble above everything else. I think the best definition of that thorn I've come across was given by Ron Dunn. Some of you may remember 
It was a great, wonderful American preacher and teacher, now with the Lord. I heard him define a thorn, this thorn, as anything that makes you aware of your weakness. I think that's really helpful. Anything that makes you aware of, of your weakness. Anything that causes you to be conscious of how much you depend on God. It might be just your inadequacy, your, your, your inability, your brokenness. It might be people, it might be a problem, it might be a situation, it might be a relationship. It might be a pain, it might be an illness. This thorn in the flesh is whatever reminds us of our weakness. It might take the form of one thing for you and the form of another thing for someone else. But it causes you to feel weak. You need to depend on God. You need to go to God and cry out to God. God, I need your help. I rely upon you. You see, God actually wants us to feel our weakness. Because our weakness humbles us. It turns us to God for his grace. And that leads to intimacy with God. That's why Paul could say in verse 9, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest on me. Verse 10. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses. In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. One of the greatest requirements that God wants of you is for you to be weak. You don't have to be talented. You don't have to have great gifts and great abilities. All you have to be is weak. Now that that means we all qualify, doesn't it? No one is excluded. In 2 Corinthians 13 verse 4, Paul said, For to be sure... He, that's Christ, was crucified in weakness. So even Jesus experienced weakness. He shares in what we share. He was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him in our dealing with you. Paul had become deeply aware of his weakness before God. You know, in in spite of his great abilities, I don't think there was anybody on a level with Paul's abilities. He had one of the greatest intellects ever. He he was a man of incredible strength of will and abilities. Humanly speaking, he would have been up there, but he knew he he was weak when all said and done. Isn't isn't it great that God uses us in our weakness? He doesn't use us in spite of our weaknesses, but because of our weakness. I think that's a problem for us because we don't like to be weak. We don't like to be weak. 
If you had a choice whether to be weak or strong, well, I'd choose strength. But our weaknesses are designed to turn us to God's grace. And Paul says at the end of verse 9, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that, and I love this phrase, Christ's power may rest on me. That means that Christ's power is available to all of us. Not on the basis of our strength, but on the basis of our weakness. Our text says that's why we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So if you want to be strong in God as we go into this new year, you have to be weak in yourself. You're never as strong as when you are weak and when you feel weak. Friends, being weak isn't, in itself isn't enough. I, I, I believe Paul could have had that thorn in the flesh and been humbled and broken by it and felt his weakness but never received the power of God. He could have done that if he hadn't have come to verse 10 and the experience exp expressed in verse 10. Verse 10 says, That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. I think and I believe that Paul had come to the place of trusting God's love. He trusted that God, in giving him his thorn in the flesh, would never be less than loving. That God was always loving in giving him even the thorn in the flesh. And he came to a place of embrace where he embraced what God gave by faith. He embraced his weakness and he embraced whatever caused him to feel his weakness. To such an extent, he said, I, deli I delight in weakness. I delight in insults. I delight in hardship. I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties. Now, I don't think he was ecstatic about his thorn in the flesh. I don't think he was jumping up and down and thinking, oh, I've got this pain, this is wonderful, or anything like that. The word delight is, is made up of two words in the Greek, and it, it put together, it means considered to be good. I considered this to be good. I gave it thought, I understand, and now I see why. I'm not thrilled. I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy I'm in pain, but I consider it to be good. Because it's given by a God of love. So, let me finish by asking you that question. Have you come to that place of embrace? where you've embraced whatever it is that causes you to feel your weakness? Have you considered it a good thing? Because it's made you aware of your dependence on God. It's driven you to God. It's driven you to seek His grace. 
I've known so many over the years who have, if you like, been given a thorn in the flesh. And they've had this weakness, but it's stumbled them. It's caused them to turn away. And even to turn away from God's grace. And it's only when we're able to see these things as being given by a God of love. And to show us our weakness before him. So, is anybody feeling weak this morning? Feeling their weakness. Maybe physical weakness, maybe mental weakness. Some handicap, some lack, some difficulty. Well, if you are, you're just the person God's looking for. We need to come to an end of ourselves. Delight in our weakness. Trust God and receive the power of God resting upon us. Let's pray. Just take that uh, few minutes to think how this speaks to us and how we can respond and what God would have us respond in what, in what way God would have us respond to this. Let's just be quiet, shall we? What can you take away from this this morning? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these glorious truths in your word. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that you've made us just as we are, as jars of clay. Lord, but what a treasure we have within us. Your Son, our Savior. Lord, you've made us weak so that it will be obvious that whatever is done, whatever we accomplish, it will be through your power and only through your power. And so, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this wonderful text that we have this treasure in jars of clay, that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. Lord, what a, what a truth for us to take into this new year and to live by. Lord, whether we're feeling excited or overwhelmed, Lord, we know that your grace will be sufficient for us. Your power will be enough. Thank you, Lord, that Satan can only do what you let him do. Thank you that he serves your purposes. And knowing that, Lord, we look forward to a new year of proving that your grace is sufficient. So, Lord, we ask that you do whatever is needed to humble us. Whatever is needed, Lord, to draw us to yourself, to increase your grace in us. Do whatever it is, Lord, in our lives to help us to distrust ourselves and to rest solely on you. So, Lord, we thank you. And we thank you for your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.